You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matiash, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 10. That's right. We have decupulled, decupulled, I say, our episode output. Amazing. You're, you're, you're seriously continuing with the tuples. This is going to be a thing, right? We're, we're 10 in. We might as well keep doing it. Yes, I have a wiki page that has everything up until 31, and then I have to figure out what, uh, what we're going to do after that. We'll, ju- we'll just make stuff up at that point. You have, you have sharky uppled your, uh, your output. I don't know. Shark tuppled. <laughs> Shark tuppled. We, that's right. That's even better. That's why you're here. You, you're the brains of the operation. So, Brian, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think I hear another voice in the room here. What's going on? Do we have our first guest? I think so. Uh, who 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 do we have here on the line on episode ten, double digits? Who's our first guest ever? My name is Michael Binsky, and I'm I'm from Phoenix, and I've known Brian for a long time now. What have we started kind of shooting together, kind of shooting together at the same time, and and we kind of met each other in in New York. But since then, we've gone like crazy different paths, and um, I'm kind of full time wedding photographer and storm chaser and kind of time lapser, and that's kind of what I do for a living now. And you have won an Emmy. I do. I have. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I, I feel pretty lucky about it. <laughs> Some really nice people in town here invited me to be part of one of their specials. And I know Sharky used to live here in Phoenix and he knows Royal Norman and he's a good friend of mine. He's a meteorologist here at uh, one of the local stations and he wanted to use all my uh, time lapse footage for one of their specials to kind of elevate it to a different level. And um, I guess it worked because they got nominated for an Emmy for it. And uh, so we got my wife and I got dressed up and went to the uh, ball with them and they announced us in another station as winners. So that was one of the most incredible moments. And uh, I'm pretty proud of that. So like Mike and I met, we kind of, this, I, I really do wish I, I knew specifically, but we're talking about many years ago um, before Instagram, before all the stuff, when everyone was blogging, like we all had our own blogs and, and, and I wish I could have gone back right now and, and in one of the conversations said, Hey Mike, by the way, in about a decade from now, you're going to win an Emmy. Like <laughs> would have been insane. I mean, all we were doing was HDRing everything we possibly could at the time, urbex and any wall or tree or anything that we saw is all we want to do is HDR. And it's, it feel and, and the fact that you brought a blogging, I can't even, it's like, I barely do. I blog, but I don't, no one comments anymore. It's just completely different than it used to be. And back then it was just comment on your blog and you comment on mine and then we'll go. <laughs> It really is. It's it's just thinking about that is crazy. But um, but in the interest of time, yeah. Sharky, you usually pester me because you want you want to know what the show is about, right? Yes, Brian, tell us what the show is about. We can't break with the <laughs> pattern. You, That'll just it'll be a rift in the whole time space continuum. I'd like to know too. Tell me, okay, Mike. So th- more for Mike than for Sharky. But so this is episode ten, and uh, even though we're we're recording just a, a few days prior to to the uh, publication. Yesterday, a little company called Adobe announced some pretty big changes across the board with their Creative Cloud line, but specifically for us photographers uh, with Lightroom. I think it's important for us to to cover that, given uh, Lightroom's kind of history on this show as well as on Sharky's uh, other show, uh, the Petapixel Photography Podcast. So that's the first thing we're going to talk about. Then the second one, and this is kind of really uh, timely with Mike here and us just kind of going down memory lane, 
all three of us here are working photographers in one capacity or another, and we've kind of had a really, really uh, interesting roads. And so I thought it'd be fun to share with our audience what moments in our life in the past, were there any pivotal moments that took us from whatever we were doing, whether it was a nine to five job or just in school or something, and then put us on this road where we are making our living or trying to at least with photography in one form or another. This is going to be unbelievably fascinating. This episode it better be the Lightroom thing alone. I've got so many thoughts about this. So we're, we're going to try not to go along. So then I guess, Sharky, let's let's start with you. So let's just kind of lay it out there. Adobe essentially forked Lightroom. There used to be light. There was Lightroom. So you see, right. You know, in the it was 2015. They forked it a long time ago, I tell you. But um, so, <laughs> they, they forked it good. Anyways. But so here's what they did. So. There is now a split. And uh, so episode 221 of my show, the Petapixel Photography Podcast, I talk about Adobe's split personality when it comes to Lightroom. What they have now is you've got Lightroom CC, which is a more mobile-oriented kind of whole deal. And then you've got Lightroom Classic CC. Now, like I said in the show, if they had called it Lightroom Legacy CC, then you could see the writing on the wall. I don't think they wanted to freak people out so much. They called it classic, but clearly its days are numbered. And what I said is look at the naming convention. You've got Premiere CC, you've got Photoshop CC, and you've got Lightroom CC now. So what does Adobe eventually want you to be in? They want you to be in Lightroom CC, which is not Lightroom Classic. So we see the writing on the wall here. We see where things are going we're eventually all going to have to use Lightroom CC because Lightroom Classic at some point will be deprecated. That seems obvious. I don't think they said that, but that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and I'm part of their pre-release program. So I've I've had access to these two programs for a little while now. And I'll tell you something, now that it's out of the bag, it's not any easier in terms of wrapping my head. So I think of someone like, okay, we know that Adobe wants to move everyone to kind of like a cloud-centric thing, you know, backing up your photos to the cloud especially with mobile photographers. But then let's let's take Mike as an example. You know, Mike, when you go shoot a wedding, on average, how many photos, um, not either how many, the number of photos or, or the file size generally, how much are you shooting for an event? Usually at least 2,000 photos on a wedding, depending on what kind of day it is. With 12-hour wedding, I can probably take 3,500 photos and I kind of have an itchy trigger finger, so maybe I take more than other people. But um, that's whole idea of storing stuff in the cloud just, you know, it kind of baffles me because I could never do anything like that. Um, I don't know what I was listening to yesterday, but unless we all have fiber connections, I don't see how that, you know, works for me. I come home and dump 128 gigs worth of photos. And with my other side doing storm chase and I don't, I come home from a storm chase with, you know, maybe 500 gigs of wow images on a good day doing time lapse. So what am I supposed to, you know, I can't put that up in the cloud. So I've got a question for you, Mike. So what are you calling your photos in? Are you in Lightroom when you're doing that or using photo mechanic? What are you doing? For weddings, I use photo mechanic. Absolutely. And that's what's ridiculous about this. And I've been giving Adobe crap about this for the longest time promise I'm not going to sing the song, Billy Joel fans. So that doesn't count as a dad joke. That was just a stupid comment. That was a stupid <laughs> 80s reference right there. <laughs> Brian's dying right now. You can't see it, but he's just he's shaking his head. You are so dumb. Oh, he's shaking his head. All right. <laughs> no, but uh, how dumb is it that you have to buy? Now, listen, I love the, the people at Camera Bits. I love Photo Mechanic. It's been a staple for photojournalists forever. But how stupid is it that you have to even go outside the Adobe ecosystem, buy a $150 program just to call your photos when Adobe, who makes record profits quarter after quarter, billions of dollars, they can't make a culling module 
in Lightroom. I mean, yeah, I don't know. And I don't. Sorry, Brian. I don't know if you know this because I just discovered this recently. Photo Mechanic. I can work on my desktop and mark photos and my assistant on my other computer back there. She can use Photo Mechanic totally separately. Go to the same folder, mark them, and somehow each instance of Photo Mechanic picks up what changes we've both made. So we can actually have like a network system where we're calling the same photos. Lightroom won't even let you. You can't open the same library, so you can't do anything like that. Um, so it's actually multi-user with Photo Mechanic, and that's and so yeah, and, and I think it's important to differentiate intent in terms of what Adobe is doing here. The way that I have approached Lightroom CC is I see what Adobe is trying to do is build something that will scale, where the user base will scale kind of infinitely. So the way I uh, approach Lightroom CC is that it is more of a stepping stone for someone who's using Apple Photos or Google Photos who wants to kind of grow into something a bit more powerful, much more than the three of us and probably most of our audience who not only kind of needs the, the the more of the power because there are it isn't feature parity yet between the two, but also like you said, Mike, just churns out gigabytes and gigabytes of photos. Adobe provisioned me with ten terabytes of cloud space. Ten terabytes is a hundred dollars a month normally to a normal person. So because I wanted to seriously give it a go, you know, I have six terabytes of photos right now that I just checked uh, yesterday, and it would take me. You know, I'm on a cable connection. I don't have fiber here yet, hopefully soon. But still, the amount of time it would take me to be able to feasibly do that. Plus, every as I get more photos, like you said, Mike, you go on a, on a shoot or shark, you go shoot a sporting event. It's just so I don't think it's for us. The problem is that, yes, calling it classic. If they wanted to alleviate people's concerns, they should have called it Lightroom Pro. Yeah, that's what I that's what I heard someone else say as well. And I'm like, that would have made me feel a lot better. You guys are scaring me by the fact that they you're saying they want to phase it out. So I'm like, this is what I use. And, and if they are going to phase it out and try to get everyone to be on the cloud more, that's frightening to me. I think that the transition is going to take a while. You know, they just split the fork in the road here. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen like people freak out about stuff and there really is no need to do it. You won't be forced into it. You'll be able to use classic for a good long while. There's going to be a healthy amount of overlap. Aside from the bandwidth issues, like Brian was saying, the cost alone, most people are not going to be, If you, listen, if you're a spray and pray kind of guy or gal or whatever, you're shooting sports, you're coming back with like 4,000 images when you should only have like maybe a thousand, maybe that'll train you right there. You're not going to pay $100 a month. No one's going to do that. Your average person who might be, let's say they're a mom or dad and they're shooting little Johnny's games and they're coming back with 2,000 images, they're not going to want to spend 100 bucks a month just to have that all in the cloud. So the costs are going to have to come down. Most people don't have the bandwidth. Adobe knows that. And so there's going to have to be a transition period. Brian, do you have to have all your images in the cloud? This is what I still don't understand. This is as we record this, this has only been out a day now. And so there's still a lot of things we, we still need to figure out needs to yeah. sink in. So when it comes to Lightroom CC, which is essentially Lightroom Mobile, a mobile solution, what do you have to do as far as the images? Can you have the images locally on your hard drive? What goes up into the cloud? Yeah. So but first, Sharky, I want to address your about the whole it's not an overnight process or it's not going to happen right away. One thing to remember, as of yesterday, you can no longer buy an in perpetuity license, meaning a standalone license. You can only get Lightroom Classic now through Creative Cloud Photography Plan or the Creative Cloud Plan. So that is something that some people have brought up. It's not made a lot, but that is the first kind of drawing the like, hey guys, or in terms of writing on the wall, you have to be on a Creative Cloud Plan. This is So that was, I think, two generations now. It took two generations for this to happen. Lightroom 6 or Lightroom 5 and Lightroom 6, if I remember correctly. 
basically from 2015 on. Now you cannot buy standalone Lightroom, like a hundred bucks or whatever. Fine. In terms of what you had asked for Sharky, how to use it. So this is what I've been wrapping my head around a lot. I've been trying for a while now to figure out how to best create content for my audience in terms of how to use it. So I have no intentions of stopping to use classic. I tried, I, I did try to, to migrate my entire catalog in. And like you said, Sharky, do I really, no one needs it's like Mike was saying earlier, the amount of brackets I have in like the 2012 to, two, <laughs> to 2015 <laughs> era, the kind of Jurassic era of, of that kind of photography is obscene. Like literally we would bracket solid walls. Like I would see a cool wall and I'd bracket it, you know, I'd have this promote control thing over my, that would give me like nine exposures. All right, here's what I'm doing. And this is kind of, I'll, I'll lay this out more like in a video or in a blog. I have Lightroom. CC Lightroom Classic, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's too hard to keep in track um, of it. Oh my god! What what Lightroom Classic still does is you can specify collections, not smart collections, but regular collections, to sync up to the Creative Cloud, and then Lightroom CC, the new app, will ingest that. Also, what you can do is um, have your uh, through the Lightroom iOS and Android app, you can have your mobile photos, um, the one especially the ones you take with the Lightroom camera that that will save in DNG. You can have all that sync. So Sharky, to kind of TLDR it, I created a collection called Photos to Edit. I, I already have a collection called Four Star, which is my rating for photos that have made it to the internet, my finalized photos. Those I have access to everywhere. I created another collection yesterday called Photos to Edit. And what I do there is I take the photos um, that I want to edit or I want to have access to. In addition to collections, like if I'm doing a presentation, I need access to those photos. And I those are the only things that will sync. I will not sync all of my my library because it's just not feasible. If I, I'm going to New York tomorrow morning and I'm going to photograph, I'm sure, I will import those into a travel catalog in Lightroom Classic on my laptop. I will, like I've always done for the past decade, migrate that over to my home catalog here. And then if there are photos, I want to edit. So that's what I'm doing, Sharky. But here's the problem, though. See, you're a power user. Let's say we're all more deeply into Lightroom than maybe your average person is because we have to be. But your average person that's using Lightroom isn't going to know how to do that. It's too confusing. And before we get you know too super long, is I want to talk about the speed also because it kind of ties into this. Ah, yes. And, and the confusion. And what I said in episode two twenty one of my show is all right. So here's what I did. So I downloaded the new Lightrooms. Okay, I fired up Lightroom Classic. I've got a I you know I redid my iMac system recently, so everything's all fresh and and ready to go. And I imported photos that I have not imported on this computer before. So it's brand new to the library, et cetera. So they haven't been cached or any of that nonsense, right? And so I imported it like I normally did. And I'm going through, arrowing through the photos in the library module. And it's taking, sometimes it was instant, which was cool. Other times it was about, I'd say on average, two seconds, which albeit is faster than it was before with the previous version, the non-classic version. But here's the thing. That's not how you're supposed to do it. Adobe, if you watch the video, which I did later, you know, I just like, like, it's like not reading the manual, right? So I just dove in. I imported the way myself and most people would do, which is just doing it the way you've done it. Unless you click embedded and sidecar, embedded plus sidecar. So you have that faster experience that Adobe wants you to have now because they say it's, hey, you know, it's faster. We finally listened to you after three years. We've sped things up. If you don't do that, you're not going to see a much faster you know, rendering of photos and you're going to, and culling is going to be fairly miserable. So your average person 
does not know this. And so Adobe is just making assumptions. You know, if you're too close in, into it, you're in the weeds there, you think everyone else knows what you know. And that's not true. So what I argue for, and I hope Adobe does this, it'd be so easy to do, there needs to be an import wizard. You know, when you're importing, there should be a box that pops up and it should say, click here. And this is what you want to do. If you want the fastest experience to call, you want to click this and it'll automatically do embed plus sidecar. It'll tell you, you know, you're going to have extra files in your folder. You're going to have maybe, you know, extra um, hard drive space you're going to need, etc. This is what you want to do. Most people that use this, they're not going to know to do that. And so they're going to be like, well, Lightroom's still slow for me. That's it. I'm out of here. I'm going to photo raw. I'm going to capture one pro. So I think Adobe, I appreciate what they've done but they haven't gone the extra step to explain to people. Unless you watch the video or you listen to our shows or whatever, you wouldn't know this. And I think most people, it's going to take forever to find out about that. Yep. Agreed. Totally agreed. And listen, people are going to speak with their wallets like they always do. And if you look at the posts on Facebook, for example, the announcement posts and some of the videos that the product managers have made, there is a very, what is, I believe, a vocal minority. And I say minority because like I said earlier, it's about scaling to um, a particular user base. And in terms of mobile photographers, there are a hell of a lot more people who are taking photos with phones or just like have their needs are much, much, much less, I guess, demanding. And that's where Adobe's going there. They see that that's where the puck is. So you don't see these mobile photographers going on to these threads and freaking out and everything. You don't see Adobe, you know, really concerning themselves with that. They're concerned with us, sure, to a degree. But I really do think that they know the kind of Google did the same thing when I was on Google Photos. I mean, Google bought Nick. And when Google Plus first came out, the focus was on the professional or the advanced enthusiast amateur photographer. You know, that's what they built it around. And, if, you know, with Google, like with Adobe, it's all about scale. How can we build for the most amount of people, especially with photo? When you're talking about niche things like illustration and, and video and audio, those are still very much professional products. But again, when you, you know, you look at Apple, they dropped Aperture just dropped it, gone, you know, and here they have photos and photos has this nice middle ground of advanced features, but still kind of very, very much mobile first. We're going to see some interesting things going on here. And I don't know, I mean, this opens it up to other companies to kind of fill a gap. And it, it's clearly a gap that Adobe is okay with creating or allowing to exist, you know, on ones, the Mac funds, um, photo mechanic, uh, um, affinity photo. So let's, I think, unless you guys have anything else to say, I would love to, to move on. Let's do it. Let's get to the next topic, I think. Unless Mike has anything else to say. No, I just uh, I was did what Sharky said. I went and imported some photos and totally skipped whatever the new embed thing is to try to make it faster. I didn't even know. I just hit add and let it go. But I will say, I was kind of flipping through in library and going through is not photo mechanic speed, but it's faster than it used to be, at least. So that's something. So there's that. There's that. All right, go ahead, Brian. <laughs> Tell us what our next topic is. All right. So again, all three of us are working photographers. And what's interesting is that it, we're three very different, I guess, career paths or vocations. We're All three of us call ourselves professional photographers. So what I'd like to do is I just want to more of an inspirational thing, less about, you know, us attacking software companies and stuff. And and someone emailed me about telling me to stop. We, we need to stop talking about photography etiquette so much, which I disagree with. But I want to know for all three of us, uh, and we'll start with Mike, was there a point in your career where or something happened? You know, you were working at a company, which you were, you know, what happened? How did you decide with you? You've got a wife, you've got kids. You know what? I'm going to do this 
here, where you're sitting here with us as our first guest talking about this. <laughs> it's a long story, so I won't say everything that's happened, but it's it was really hard because I had, can't remember now, but I, three years ago I did, I had three kids and this is coming up on my third anniversary of being full-time. So for someone like me to be you know, the main income source of the family and with three kids already to go full time is was absolutely terrifying. And so I had a job that allowed me some freedom to develop my business. And I never thought I could go full time. I would never even have dreamed of that as a possibility. But, you know, at one point in my life and in getting into this, I was like, I probably need to shoot weddings if I'm going to go full time. I think I can be good at that. And I know that that's something that would allow me to at least make close to what I was making at my job or probably, well, more than I was making at my previous job. But, um, but I think the big moment that really made it a reality was when I got into the storm chasing stuff and I got this time lapse of this dust storm that kind of went viral and people started licensing it from me, it kind of opened my eyes to some different avenues of revenue that I didn't know before. And so it's hard, even if I was shooting weddings full time and shooting 30 a year, it's still, you know, the taxes that we pay for being a small business. Um, and expenses and gear and cameras and, and, you know, storage online and hard drives. I mean, all that stuff is barely enough to survive, even shooting 30 weddings a year. So, you know, having this combination of different things really uh, allowed me to do it. And I, and the, the moment that I quit was more out of frustration that I have no passion in my current job anymore. I don't love it. I'm not doing a good enough job. And there was one, someone asked me something at that job, like, Hey, have you uh, taken this certification yet? And I hadn't, I hadn't done anything probably for three weeks. I was supposed to do something and I didn't do it. And I, w- I went to my wife right after that. I go, I'm done. I'm quitting tomorrow. I'm sending in my notice now. And then I just went with it. I'm like, I, you know, I was making enough money with both of them combined. I'm like, I can, I think I can be okay. The biggest fear for me and the reason I didn't do it sooner was health insurance. That's with three kids that was going to be over a grand a month. And that was the reason I never, I didn't quit sooner. But then my wife got a job and got health insurance and everything kind of worked out. But that was kind of the big moment for me was it's, I, I have to do it now. I love what I do so much. I love photography. I, this is all I dream about. I stay up all night and do this. And my other job, I can't even bring myself to do it. And um, so I just kind of pulled the trigger and made it happen. So then from the time that the, the so the catalyst was that Haboob video that went viral from that time to when you pulled the rip cord, you quit your job. What was that length of time? I'm trying not to giggle, by the way, about Haboob. We should have Yeah. My, people are going to think, they, I think they just swore. They just lost their clean rating. No. So you might want to explain to people who aren't from the Phoenix area or a desert somewhere what a haboob is. Oh, really yeah. Quick. Haboob is an Arabic term for a dust storm. You know, a lot, it's a very divisive word out here because a lot of people hate it. A lot of natives from here say, oh, I've never heard that word before. We just call them dust storms. And and I'm like, yeah, there's almanacs from the 70s where meteorologists have used that word. So it's a legit word, but but it's uh, it, it's described a dust storm and they and they use that term out in the Middle East. And it's usually something, you know, a massive one, which is what um, I saw. And so when I the catalyst was 2011 is when I um, time lapsed that dust storm. And so I quit my job three years ago. So 2014. So it took about three years. And I had another video in 2013 of a supercell that went viral as well. And that was almost a bigger kind of splash where more people licensed that probably than the dust storm. Those kind of things that led up to that really, you know, helped me kind of figure out this path of, um, wow, I'm shooting weddings and this is great, but I can also go out and time lapse this stuff in hopes of licensing this footage in a different revenue path that I didn't know before. So that other one in 2013 was a really, was kind of like a confirmation that I really think I can do this and it's working. So then you're 
so it's not like you went and you had that first video go viral and you're like, it's boom, I'm out. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm out of here. Like, were there years that went by? But Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my, um, I have a, a friend in town. He's a full-time wedding photographer. He's got like seven kids. And he told me back in the day, it took him like five years to go full-time. Yeah. And I had that in my head. And I think I shot my first wedding around 2010, 2011. And I always knew four or five years is probably when it was going to be. So I was just very patient. It was, I think it was really, it's really tough to be able to build up that that income level to replace your job, plus have expenses, plus taxes and all that stuff. And it's a lot, I think it's a lot harder than obviously people think. I feel that sometimes I feel I'm very, very blessed that somehow here I am 42 with kids and discovered this passion for photography that I didn't know existed, you know, seven years ago. And somehow I'm able to do it full time. And I really, I know that I work really hard at what I do. So in that way, you know, I've earned it. But at the same time, I feel really, really lucky that somehow this has happened because I know it's a tough thing to do, do photography full time. It's hard. Yeah. All right. How about you, Brian? I just think with Mike, the, the the point that I wanted to drive home there was that, you know, he had it wasn't like getting the flash in the pan is one thing, but then it's what you do afterwards with that. Like, it's not like he just like, boom, <laughs> I'm rich. And uh, and and just like quit and stuff. I wasn't. Yeah, you you know, five years or multiple years. Like, I think that's a point that I wanted to drive home with me. My story is kind of different um, in terms of my experience or what I considered working in the industry. Was out of grad school, I worked for for Motorola, and then I worked for some financial software companies in Boston. And um, along that way, you know, kind of like with you, Mike, like I was just kind of found the time on the weekends and stuff to go shooting, which led to certain opportunities. But I I constantly created content on my blog. One of the things that I did a lot of was creating these kind of like editing tutorials. And I was using at the time on one, it was a photo tools 2.6, like which was solely strictly a Photoshop plugin. And the first time I went to a Photoshop world expo in Boston, they used to go to Boston on alternate with Vegas. And I went to the on one booth when they were doing booths. I just happened to speak with the marketing director there. Who's a, a good buddy of mine. His name is Mike Wong. He's not at on one anymore, but he was like, Hey, you know, would you want to present at the booth? You know, they do these things where that photographer should do editing stuff. And so that led to it wasn't just like one of those things like I like Mike remembers, we were doing our blogs like I mean, it was religious, like we were doing our one shot every day. And we'd go to each other's blogs and comment to cross pollinate. And, you know, even though SEO was still fledgling back then, it helped. Anyway, we had such a good experience from that presentation that they offered me a full-time job to create content as their curriculum and education manager. And that's what led me into the photo industry. I was able to quit my job at the financial software company and work here. Essentially, my job as a photographer was to go out, create photos, create content. And that led to, you know, from on when I went to Google and worked on the photos team there from Google, you know, I worked with Sony, I worked with Wacom, but at some point there, I also, it's not many full-time photographers have the opportunity to work as a full-time, you know, for a company with Mike, like you were saying, insurance and 401k. But one thing it does do is it made me realize just how much stifle of creativity there could be when you work for a company and they have their own priorities in terms of like sales and, uh, you know, market share and all this stuff. And you genuinely just want to create, but that butts heads, guess what? The company always wins. It's their money. It's their stuff. So that's what kind of led me to like, you know what? I have good connections. I've developed really strong relationships with a bunch of different companies and I'm just going to do this freelance on my own. And that's, I mean, never, Mike, when we were back in the day, I would never have thought that this was something I can actually make a living from. 
now, you know, Sharky and I are creating our own podcast, trying to make, you know, another slice of the pie. We're just the democratization of going out and creating your own slice of the pie is it's never been easier, but it takes a lot of time. It takes a ton of time. It's like anything else. You have to work at it. You're going to be like, I've, I've done 14, 16 hour days for three years now to get to a certain level. That's what you have to do. And if you're not willing to put in the commitment, it's just not going to happen for you. You got to do it. So, yeah, I mean, just to confirm that, like, you know, here I have Sharky messaging me last night. He's like, oh, man, he's like, I'm going to be up through like 4 a.m. editing his Petapixel show. And, uh, you know, I'll probably try to get four or five hours of sleep. And now, you know, because we wanted to work around Mike's availability, he's like, I'll get up here. And that's just, that's just not just one day. Like Sharky has so far edited every single show, cutting it, making it really tight. And that's not something that you just wake up and start doing. Like that's discipline. So Sharky, go ahead. Let's end with you. It's discipline or it's I'm crazy. I don't know. I'm going to be 47 in January. I'm an old man. I need my sleep. I only got three and a half hours last night. And yet, I'm on fire. No. I love that I'm the baby of this group here. <laughs> you are. Yet, yet you look older than both of us, like I said. What's going on there? <laughs> you are a mess. <laughs> uh, 39 going on 14. <laughs> it's crazy. But no, for me, uh, you know, I'll start in high school and stuff. I was in a, a graphics uh, design class. I aced that. My teacher was like, you know, you should maybe join the high school newspaper. So I did that in yearbook like many people do. I went to college for photojournalism. Ended up leaving college early. I just was antsy. I was like, I want to start a business. So ended up starting a desktop publishing uh, business, which led into creating a parenting magazine down in Phoenix. So the Phoenix area, Phoenix, Arizona, and and uh, it's the fifth largest metropolitan area in the country. And so I did a parenting magazine there for a couple of years. The internet started taking off. So I did. Uh, I had an internet development and consulting business, moved up to eastern Arizona, and it was just kind of just doing my thing. Helped a local paper. I talked about this also in episode 221 of my show. The local newspaper, it was a small newspaper, didn't have a, a full-time staff photographer. And so I got tired of seeing really crappy photos. <laughs> so I imposed myself on them. And it took a little bit of convincing. They're like, yeah, you know, uh, help us out. So we did a bit of a trade, started shooting for them and also started doing video. So had the whole, you know, video camera, the whole heavy tripod situation, which I also talked about. And uh, Mike, I had a professional Mike flag made the whole thing. And so I was doing a community thing with video and photos with them. The larger paper in the area just wasn't having that. They're like, what's this guy at this smaller newspaper doing with video? We don't have video. So they tried to coax me over. It took about a year. And finally, I relented. We negotiated and I did that. And so I backed my way into photojournalism, something that I went to school for and ended up not doing until somehow I backed my way into a photojournalism job. Did that for a little over five years, 1,500 plus assignments. I mean, in a lifetime, does anyone take out their camera 1,500 times? You know, it's mostly like a photojournalist kind of thing. You're working day in, day out. That's a lot of assignments. That's 300 a year, right? I mean, that's... That's crazy. And not all of them were, you know, huge assignments. Some were grips and grins, as we call it, you know, check presentations. But a lot were games. You know, I'd go down to Phoenix and we'd shoot the state championships. And there was a lot of, you know, community events and just you name it, I shot it. Every lighting situation, every just everything you can imagine. Go ahead, Brian. So you... Like you said, you backed into photojournalism. It was something that you like where at what point were you like other than going to school for it, but you were, said you already had a successful kind of business with your uh, publication. 
how did where were you other than was it just because you were you were tired of seeing crappy photos so you decided to like hey i'm gonna take this on well the publication was many years earlier that stopped in 96 and so i moved up to the white mountains in 2006 so this is a whole decade later so i had the internet development and consulting business so i could work anywhere and so just in that local community i saw that smaller paper and was like you know what i want to do some photography it gets me out there in the community it gets me known so that's how it happened so i started doing photos and video for them then the larger paper wanted to take me on and then bam photojournalism career something that i wanted to have originally and got out of because i was antsy in college and i was like listen i don't need this i know what i want to do how interesting how interesting i love it that i actually that's so far is like one of my favorite stories of how the career happened just because it, it almost sounds like it was just like um what's the word serendipitous just kind of like happened like you you willed it to happen and look what that led to i mean that led to so being a photojournalist and then i left that in august uh, 2013 moved up to utah got married etc. Didn't do photojournalism for a year. I was on contract with the big paper there. I told him, listen, I'm in the area. I'm a former photojournalist, etc. And then that led to starting the podcast. And now, so the Petapixel Photography Podcast, one of the biggest photography podcasts out there, one of the biggest photography podcasts that's ever existed. And then now this show too. So it's weird that, you know, I just kind of backed into photojournalism and then this all happened. So it's just, it was meant to be, I would argue. Great. I I was going to add to this, these stories. I know that, you know, we don't have a lot of time, but a lot of the similar things that you guys all talk about that we all have, and I think a lot of photographers miss, is they just want to go out and take photos like, oh, I guess I'll do this. And it doesn't work for them and they don't know why. The bottom line is you did 1,500 assignments in five years, you said. Brian loves teaching people and writing and learning all this stuff. And I love storms and weather. And we all like took that passion. You need some kind of like psycho passion about these kind of things to actually turn it into something of a career because I know the you know, the way I storm chase and the way I, the footage I get, most people cannot drive as much as I do with little sleep and go, go, go all the time. It's just, you don't have, they don't have time for it. These are the kind of things like you have to really, really love what you're doing and be 150% focused on it to make something work. You can't go at it haphazardly. You can't, I don't know, you can't do it, you know, half-heartedly and you have to, to really just, people have to see that you love it that much. I mean, you walked up to that booth, Brian, and I'm sure they're like, wow, this guy loves our product. He loves talking about it, taking photos and teaching other people how to do it. Like he's perfect. And they just saw that in you immediately. And I, that's that's a big I think that's a big thing for people that people may be wondering, why can't I do it? Why can't I go full time? And I think you have to figure out what you love enough that you will like never sleep because you can't help but go do that. Sure. So absolutely. Awesome. You have anything to add to it? Otherwise, I want to know what's on your gear shelf, Brian. Okay, <laughs> you go. Actually, no. Um, let's ask Mike first. How rude? Yeah, let's do it, Mike. Mike. What's on your gear shelf? I'm the weather guy, so I'm picking the obvious thing. There's, um, I use a device called a Lightning Trigger Four. Um, you go to lightningtrigger.com. I think it might be lightning-trigger.com, and it's the original lightning trigger out there. They're really called lightning sensors, uh, but this guy is actually copyrighted and trademarked lightning trigger. You're really not allowed to use it unless you're talking about his device. It's a device that sits on top of your camera and watches for lightning and you, it plugs in your you know cable release port and it tells your camera to take a picture when it senses or sees a flash of light. It doesn't have to be a bolt. It can be flashing the clouds that you're not even seeing. And it's really especially great for daytime right before you know sunset into like you know that blue hour. And it's it's people always ask how I get daytime bolts. Sometimes I get lucky and because I'm time lapsing it like three, you know, 2000 photos and one of them catches a bolt. 
but a lighting trigger is a really nice device, especially if you're trying to get some daytime stuff. So super expensive. There's a bunch of different models out there from ranging from like $100 up. This one's about 380 but it's worth every penny. Hmm. I'd like to add to that, that back in the day, since I am an old guy, back in the film days, you'd have to be in bulb mode. You would burn a lot of frames. Yep. It was hit or miss. Yep. Now you've got technology that's working for you and you can get every single darn bolt. Especially during the day. During the day, you would just be firing thousands of photos to try to catch something unless you know, you're know you doing something else like time lapse like I do. So it's definitely helpful. Awesome. Great pick. We'll put the link to Mike's pick as well as uh, the links to his uh, the videos that went viral that we were talking about earlier in the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. So just check it out. Awesome. So what's on your gear shelf, Brian? So for what's on my gear shelf is I just uh, recently switched to a standing desk. And what that afforded me was the ability to add a secondary display, which I did. I, so I have my iMac 5K and then next to it, I have this um, BenQ, this uh, 31 and a half inch display. But the display is not the gear. When I, The gear is actually this um, a colorometer, a color calibrator or screen calibrator by X-Rite called the i1 Display Pro. The reason why I'm bringing it up is because just the other day I was sitting here. I just set up the monitor. The other day, Nicole came downstairs shortly after I set it up and she looked at both monitors and I, I knew that the, I needed to calibrate the display, but it was like starkly different. Like the iMac was warmer after calibration and the BenQ needed the calibration. So uh, same thing. We're all working photographers here. You know, Mike has licensed work. You better be sure that you are working off of a calibrated display. I calibrate mine once every quarter. I just have a calendar event to remind me. And so, yeah, X-Rite, I want Display Pro. I've been an X-Rite user for years. I love them. And that's that. All right. So great pick. So what I have, this isn't my pick, but I've got the X-Rite Color Monkey. And so that's what I use. So they're, they're all part of the same system. They have different features, etc. Now, my pick is the X-Rite color checker passport and there's so many <laughs> you guys why, why are you why are you shaking your head you guys are like twins you guys are so cute you got like this picking the same stuff you know what's funny is that i actually wrote i don't know if they're still using it but i wrote the user guide for that <laughs> product years ago aren't you fancy all right so anyway just saying <laughs> Oh, we have an expert here on this show imagine that so the uh color checker passport if accurate color is important to you a you want to color calibrate your monitor. Otherwise, you know, you're in the wild, wild west there as far as monitors go. And really, it only matters. Well, I don't know. We can get into we don't want to get into prints and, you know, the difference between your monitor being calibrated so you can make prints versus what's on the screen. And remember, most people that are looking at your images online, their monitors are not calibrated. So they're going to be seeing it a billion different ways. So ultimately, you know, it's it's hit or miss. But if you're doing work that requires accurate color, you want to get something like the X-Rite Color Checker Passport. There's They have a few different models. You put this in your scene. You have your model hold it. Or if you're doing still lives, you put that in the scene. And that tells you what the colors are. And in Lightroom, you know, you click something, it adjusts. There's a plug in. Etc. Etc. If you need, like, if you're shooting, you know, for products, right? You, you're shooting a, a clothing line, and you need to make sure that that periwinkle is periwinkle, and it's not some weird, funky blue or whatever, purple or orange, which would be you're really crazy at that point. You need something like this, right? And so it's it also has a uh, you know a white card. It's got a gray card, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a great thing to have. Now remember, if you're in yellow lighting everything's going to look yellow. So <laughs> this this frustrates people. This really makes people crazy is the whole color calibration, printing, making sure you have accurate color, color temperature for your flashes. It's a whole different... This is why you have an entire industry full of education online because people need to know this stuff. So 
Does your wife use this? Does Nicolzi use it when she does her product photos? Yeah, she she um uh I was gonna say I, what I wanted what I was gonna say really quickly is I was I'm gonna post I have when I used to do commercial real estate photography I would use it all the time because I would shoot these rooms that had very very challenging light and so I'll post a before and after all I did was I white balanced off of the color checker passport and the difference is just staggering. All right, great show I think if we do say so ourselves right. I think it was a good one. Our first ever with a guest. Yeah, I hope it wasn't too awkward. <laughs> yeah, no, it was good. Mike, um, first, thank you so much for being our first guest. Um, you know, we really appreciate it. And uh, why don't we close out, Mike, by share with everyone where they can find out about you. And uh, yeah, well, first off, I just want to thank you guys for having me on. I've listened to your show from the very beginning and I love it. I'm like trying to like, I, I'm not, I forget about, you know, tweeting stuff all the time, but I'm trying to like spread the word about it. I've really enjoyed listening to you guys. I drive all the time chasing storms and you guys are just like help pass the time. And I love listening to your discussion. So thanks for having me on. I'm very excited that you asked me to come on. Um, you can uh, you can literally find me on most things, probably like all of us. But uh, my website is michaelbinsky.com and Vimeo especially has a lot of my time lapse films that I do. Um, I think you said this is coming out on Tuesday, which whatever date that is. But sometime today, if all goes well, my latest monsoon film called Monsoon 4 will be out on Vimeo and Facebook and YouTube. And uh, that's what I kind of spend all spring and summer working hard to kind of put out a couple of time lapse films. And so you can find that uh, wherever. But that's it. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff, too. So but really, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Um, we'll we'll be sure to link to Monsoon 4 and all your other videos because they are staggering. <laughs> thank you so much. If you want to see some great haboobs, you definitely <laughs> want to watch his videos. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We can get away with that. That was an actual word. I didn't swear just there. So, all right, Brian. So, you know, if you want to find me online, you can find me. I'm Lens Shark. Don't forget the double S's everywhere. The Petapixel Photography Podcast. Brian, where can people find you? Brian Matias, M-A-T-I-A-S-H, everywhere and Matias.com. So, Sharky, clap us out. Let's do the first three-way clap on the show. Three-way clap. All right. So, Mike, we're going to do it on three, right? The clap is going to be on three. Here we go. One, two. It sounded like me, then Brian, then you. <laughs> I couldn't remember if it was two claps or one clap. I was, I forgot. <laughs> it, ultimately, it does not matter. We just do it. It's our thing. It's stupid. <laughs> All right, Brian. Love you, brother. Thanks, guys. Love you too, dude. Thank you, Mike. Does anyone love me? Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. So how about we do this again next episode? Yeah, let's do that. 